welcome to the show. So uh, we uh, do this show live from the top of a very tall tower, a 17th floor, to be precise. It's something called the Little Shard. I mean, you know, that's how big the Big Shard is. We're the little one and we're on the 17th floor. And the game we're playing right now because it's weirdly warm this morning it's so warm that i was cycling in i had to stop and take my coat off and put it in my uh, backpack which i've never done before because it was just so ridiculously hot but apparently it's going to get really cold again tonight i mean like on i mean the, i don't know where it's coming from because the cold front was coming down um from the north and from the east it was a bit of a beast from the east and a, a bit of a sort of um naughty from the north as well and then the front hit us all we had snow lots of snow in place in yorkshire scotland earlier on last week and then we had a bit of snow here, but it didn't stick because it was all weird, the temperature-wise. It's much colder in the air than it was on the ground. And that was all going on. Not now, Will. Just talking about the weather. What's he doing? <laughs> Will's about to close the blinds. <laughs> That's how unconnected we are sometimes. But... um. So it's coming back to it. It's going to be minus 14, but it's not that at all at the moment. Um, and the wind isn't warm, so I don't know where the warmth is coming from. Oh, he's back again. <laughs> Thanks, Will. He's, he's pulling the blinds up. It's okay. This has never happened before. We've been on the air for thousands and thousands of hours. And just as we talk about what we can see outside the window, we'll put the blinds down. <laughs> so funny. It was actually such perfect timing. It was almost as if it was a sabotage. You, could, you couldn't have timed it better. We'd have been rehearsing it for weeks. Anyway, uh, the game we're currently playing at the moment to do with the weather is, because we've got the biggest cloud and the planet's ever seen above us. Nobody's ever had a big cloud. We've got it. We own it. It's it's outside the window now. And because it's it's so it's it's so substantial, and there's a bit of a shoe around it, we can still see what direction it's being blown in. And as we look outside the window, it's right to left. And now we're trying to figure out we're trying to figure out the um, the geography of where we are. And because the Isle of Dogs is out there, the Isle of Dogs is to the east of London, of course it is. And the wind is going basically right over it from where we're looking at right to left, and we're west of that. So I'm guessing the wind is a southeasterly, and that's the game we're playing now. I think you might be right. Oh come but on! But does a southeasterly means it comes from the southeast yes. or or heading? That's what it means. Well, in which case, I think it might be a north. Which way do you think north is? North that way. So it would have no, to no, become... north. North is that way. No, it's not. The compass is wrong. Well, my compass. Yeah, you can... the actual compass. Yeah, on your is on wrong. your high, highfalutin phone. That's that's north. That can't be north. That's, can so it? that's south. No, it can't be north because the because the river goes that way. The river. I don't know. It wiggles though, doesn't it? It's, it's a fun game. It's a fun game. <laughs> There's no definitive rules. Um, you know. See what you need. You need reels. Guidelines are no good. We know guidelines are no good. Look at what's going on with Gary Lineker. <laughs> That's the result of guidelines. You need reels. Okay. In which case, I'm ruling that that way is north. But you see the BBC, says Gary. They're just guidelines. They're not reels. Yeah, no, but, you know, we'd really like you to follow them. Yeah, but they're guidelines. It means I don't have to follow them. Um, the Lineker story is all over the front page of the papers uh, again today. We'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, suspected thief rumbled by the weather after police follow snowy footprints. I mean, look, it's like, <laughs> it's like you know, they've yes. been made in Hollywood. Matthew and I once walked through some, somebody had spilt some road paint. Yes. And we said, oh, this is fun. So we, we put our shoes in it. I mean, we walked home. But, <laughs> but then it was very obvious who'd, who'd <laughs> stepped in the paint for the next year. <laughs> Before it all faded off our pavement because the, the footsteps went up our path. Yes, of course they would. What did you expect them to do? Go their own way? I didn't expect them to last so long. 
paint it? What kind of paint was it? It was it was a it was a little puddle what of kind of, it was white road paint. So you didn't expect the the paint that they used to paint signs on roads to last very long. I didn't think it through at all. At all. <laughs> That's like the most long-lasting paint on the planet. It has to be because cars drive over it all day. <laughs> If I had thought it through, I would have made sure my, my footprints were a when bit was, less haphazard. When was the last time you thought about thinking anything through? Just thought about thinking anything through. When <laughs> I decide, if I ever, if I ever <laughs> have a company, like own a company, found a company, oh. the strap line, whatever the company does, yeah. the strap line, because I like the way it oh, looks with the O-U-G-H, the strap line is going to be thoroughly thought through. Excellent. Because that, that looks, looks nice and it's a nice message. ChatGPT invents Sudoku-style puzzle to keep the humans busy. So currently we're on ChatGPT 3.0. Um, Chat 3.5 is on the way. Chat 4.0 is on the way. And Chat 4.0 will leave Chat 3.5 for dead. And apparently the Chinese and the US governments have got their own versions of this. So if they're letting us have 3.5 and 4.0, what are they packing? <laughs> That's what you've got to bear in mind, isn't it? Yes. But um, everybody's worried about, you know, what if, what if ChatGPT goes rogue? You know, what is the what is the night to ChatGPT's day? What is the Arctic winter to, to ChatGPT's balmy summer? It's already out there. It's called Dan. It's called Do Anything Now. And it's the naughty one. You can ask it anything and it will give you the answer. Um, if you ask ChatGPT, for example, if you say how much, um, how long would it take to fill the Grand Canyon with mayonnaise, right? Mm -hmm. It will give you the most detailed answer. And by, by the way, instantly, instantly, and it talks about the consistency of mayonnaise, and it talks about weather conditions, and it talks about um, metric conversions, and it, take, it, it tells you a story. It doesn't just answer your question. It tells you a story, chapter and verse, about the Grand Canyon, about how important it is as a place. Now, you shouldn't really fill it with anything other than what nature wants to fill it with, but if you were thinking about filling it with mayonnaise, then this is probably how you do it. I mean... How does it know all this stuff? It still doesn't have an opinion, apparently, but it might. Uh, Eurovision 2022 National Lottery to release free party tickets. This is great. So on the 7th of March in Liverpool, there's going to be a massive party on the eve of the eve of Eurovision. And the National Lottery are in charge of the party. It could be attended by 30,000 people. So they are giving away 15,000 pairs of tickets. And it's just wonderful to get the city vibing a couple of days before. Pretty much vibing anyway. Uh, but there are nine parties to go to. Well, actually, there are nine shows to go to, and there's just there's now a tenth if you include this party. Uh, Met Office warning of blizzards coming back tonight, regardless of how warm um, it seems at the moment. And then the Gary Lineker story is all over the place today. Um, Daily Mail, will BBC do Lineker deal today to end TV standoff. Um, back of the net as. It says the mirror because it's one nil to Gary because uh, all his mates said they weren't going to do any TV, only sport on Saturday. And then he had this bizarre match of the day, which was 20 minutes long with no commentary, no punditry. Same with match of the day two. And final score didn't happen. A football focus was compromised. The Daily Telegraph Lineker set to return as BBC bosses back down. BBC bosses in race to end Lineker standoff and avoid staff rebellion. On the front page of The Guardian, front page of The Sun, Lineker back on the box. Return to match of the day this week. BBC boss risk a new row. Front page of The Times. BBC bosses seek truce to get Lineker back on side. You know, my favourite comment about this whole story at the weekend was somebody who was... It was a real de-escalation of the whole scenario. Or, or maybe wasn't even that. Maybe it's just like, what's going on here? You know, 
who cares about what Gary Lineker thinks about anything? You know, even football sometimes, <laughs> you know? Why does it matter what he thinks so much uh, to the point that, you know, the BBC have to have an opinion about his opinion and then we all have to have an opinion about the BBC's opinion about his opinion and now uh, we have to have an opinion about what they're going to do about their opinion of his opinion about some about immigration. It's so far away now for, from where it began. Um, but it looks like he's going to end up back in the box. And again... If you, if you deconstruct it, apparently that's going to happen is the BBC are going to go into negotiations with Gary Lineker to get him back on TV on Saturday, which is something he wants to do anyway, because it was they who suspended him over the weekend, not he who went on strike. So I can only imagine the negotiations will go something like this. OK, so the deep voice is the BBC and the other voice is Gary Lineker. So, Gary, want to go back on the TV this Saturday? Yeah. Okay then. <laughs> End negotiation. Match of the day back on air. On the share back in his chair. Jason Mohammed back on final score. Everybody happy again. <sighs> what the heck was all that about? Uh, Master's here. Rachel's here. Uh, Rachel's here on a Monday. Hi. How come you're here on Monday, Rachel? Because there is a tube strike on Wednesday and because I live like 27 miles from here, yes. my route home on a normal day on a bus would be a six bus, four hour route. So on a tube strike day, who knows what that would turn into. Could so be fun though. Sinead, Could be fun. Sinead, she said she's 30 minutes away on one bus so she was happy to swap with me. I would imp- I would keep, I've left it as it was. Sinead does Monday, you know, <laughs> and on, on Wednesday, you see, what, you see where you end up. Could be fun, you know, get a decent book, a couple of podcasts in your ears. I'd say thank you very much, Sinead. <laughs> so you bongo bingo, didn't you, on I Friday? Bongo's bingo. And so, so is it bongo's bingo? It's or bongo's. Bongo's bingo. So is bongo I haven't a met person bongo. or is bongo like... I like, think bongo... Uh, the, like the Wizard and the Wizard of Oz? Possibly, yes. And also the finder is from Northern Ireland because they, they announced all of the eights, like eight... Which was quite Why funny. is it on tape then? Is no, it no, just... no. So the guy who was running it, who yeah. was not the founder, but was hosting All that right. evening, every time it was an eight, he would go eight, and then halfway through the evening, he explained why. All right, I see. That's nice. But it was. So is it franchised? Is it licensed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like it's that. all over Bongo's. the place. Who it's coming he... to Watford. Who We're is going the original back. Bongo? It's like, who is the guy who created crypto? Um, because that's a mysterious character and Enigma. It, it was a person. People suspect it was a Japanese um, genius uh, called is it Shotogo. Oh yeah, I think it's Shotogo. But Shotogo or Bongo is the Shotogo of the of the not karaoke world. Bingo world. <laughs> the bingo world. The live fun Friday night entertainment. The best, the best part of it is you get there and there are these posters or leaflets all over the table saying, um, please do not dance on the tables. You may dance on the ben- benches at your own risk. <laughs> See, I would say a table's more stable, stable. than, a, than yes, a bench. The benches were pretty wobbly. Not as far to fall, though. Do we have it? Do you have the name of the crypto guy? Yeah, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto Satoshi is the name Nakamoto. used by the presumed Presume. personal person yes. who developed Bitcoin. Um, authored the Bitcoin white paper and created and deployed Bitcoin's original reference implementation. Let's talk about Elon, Elon, because he's talking about setting up a brand new city outside Texas. I love it. I love this. (laughs) I love it because that's how cities happened. You know, and if you want an Elon city, um, you know, he built this city. Is this when he waits to get to Mars? While he waits to get to Mars. Yeah. And have you heard about Texit? 
Texas. Texas. People leaving Texas. No, Texas no? leaving the United States of America oh, oh. and becoming its own country. Oh, because it's got very nice tax laws for people, doesn't well, just it? Just generally, they just think they're better than everywhere else. Um, they call it the uh, blueberry pie because it's um, it's it's red. Oh, I don't know. It's a metaphor about the fact that it's uh, it's a Republican state, but with a democratic governance or civic centre or so. Anyway, it's, it's like the perfect combination. And it seems like everybody gets on there quite well. And um, even in Austin, there's only like a million people or something like that. Um, and it's like the coolest place to live ever. That's what they're saying. It's really cool that people are going there. It's so anyway, Texit. Maybe this is why Elon's like, like, I don't know, new city, new new land, new world, new horizons. Who, who knows? Um, so Aussie Jane has spent the whole weekend watching Crufts. So we've got Aussie Jane's <laughs> take on Crufts coming up, which I'm very much looking forward to. And then Terrific Tilly, she was um, she went on a Taskmaster kind of game night. So she's going to take us through that. Um, apparently she smashed it with a drill. It was do something horrible to a cake. Um, so the birthday cake was there because it was a birthday thing. And uh, she immediately deployed a drill that she had on hand from her last ever Taskmaster game weekend, which was the first time she'd ever drilled. And this is the second time she'd ever drilled. So, the, you know, the, one of the effects of Taskmaster, did you realise that you, you're probably, or your husband, your, your whole family thing, you're increasing um, drill sales. He should bring out a range. He should bring out a range. Um uh, what else is going on? Oh, I could talk about the, the hanging of the pheasant mm. in the garage, which is currently going on. So we could talk about that. Um, you know, a friend of mine, you know, I'll tell you, what's wrong in Chatterjee? He does the thing, you know, not checking on, but checking in. So now and again, he checks in with people and he checked in with me last night. He said, how are you, mate? All right. You know, it's a practice that he does. It's great. It's lo I love it. Half past seven last night. Hi, Chris. I haven't, you know, checked in for a while. How are you doing? How's the family? And so what happens is that you then respond to your friend who is checking in on you and you get to write down your weekend for you to look at yourself. And that's the vicarious, uh, you know, that, that's a bonus of, of him doing that. So I wrote down, basically, because it took my time. It's not, it's not the longest text in the world. Um, hey, Runga, my friend, I am wonderful. Thank you so much for asking. We have had a fantastic weekend on so many levels. Um, great chats with profound friends unexpectedly as they spontaneously arrived, literally one after the other at the front door. Um, an 18-mile trail run, which was glorious, which I didn't think I was going to get through, uh, but I did because I've got two geniuses working on me at the moment. A bit too much wine following the glorious, unexpected, triumphant trail run. Uh, an amazing day today. This was yesterday. Outdoors with the kids, climbing trees, cycling, hot and cold sessions in the sauna and the ice plunge. We even bagged a roadkill pheasant and are hanging it in the garage for tea on Tuesday. How are you? That was a pretty boss weekend. You'd take that, I'll take you? that weekend. It's very windy today. Um, very windy. I came in on my bike, but because it, it's a gyro, you're all right. I mean, you don't want to get the wind side on. But you know about this. No. So that's why, you know, when you're going along on a bike or a motorbike, the faster you go, the easier it is to balance because they're a gyro and they balance themselves. We overcredit ourselves for balancing on bikes, let me tell you. <laughs> and the, and the, when, the kid, when the kids are learning to, to cycle, you know, um, you, we, used to, we used to deploy um, stabilisers, didn't we? But now the, the balance bikes are better, the ones without the pedals, because that's, that's the thing. That gets them going quicker um, and more gyro-like. And what you do if you buy a small bike for your kid that isn't a balanced bike, you take the pedals off for the first 20 minutes, they get the hang of it, you put the pedals back on. You can literally teach a kid now to ride a bike in 20 minutes. It used to take, the, it was like the first half of our life when we were kids. And Just, really back-breaking stuff because you used to have to hold the, 
the, the seat well, as well and run did, along next well, to it. Well, did you though? We only yes. Did, no, we only did that because we saw it in movies. Yeah. Yeah, but it did, wasn't really a thing. We all copied it because it was in movies mm. and it looked good because you looked very fatherly and caring. Mm. But you didn't need to do that. Well, you didn't need to Give do it. Give a shove. <laughs> go down yeah, the hill. Because the more you shove, the faster they go, the easier, it balances itself. <laughs> have you ever done that thing where, have you ever heard about where they lock the the handles on a bike? Do you know about this? No. So, so you can get bikes... They, I don't know where they do. I've done it. I've done it. So I think I do it on a TV show once. They've got bikes where the handles don't move. Okay. Because you know how you turn around a corner on a bike. Do you know how you do that? Turn the handle. Which way? The way of the corner. No. Left to go left. No, it's the opposite way. That's what you do. So as you're going left, you turn right, and as you're going right, you turn left. And what happens when they, when they, you, they sort of lock the handlebars and like, you can't ride it and you fall off. You, nobody can ride that bike. Because you can't counter steer. I'm very confused. <laughs> I'm, that's, that's why you can ride a unicycle, yeah, but you can't ride things with two with a fixed two-wheeler because it won't work from a physics point of view. I'm a little confused. You're, no, you're, right... you're, you're always confused. What's the, what's, yeah. what's the breaking news here? I'm pretty sure when I was cycling in, yeah. that when I wanted to turn left, mm -hmm. I turned left. Okay, look it up. Google boy. Okay. Every day is a school day, but the problem is that every day I'm the teacher. <laughs> I'm exhausted. I'm going on strike on Wednesday and Thursday. <laughs> Crafts is over. Cheltenham's about to start. Players' Championship over in the US in the golf. Crazy football, crazy rugby. Liverpool being beaten by Bournemouth. Quite well, quite right, by the way. Bournemouth played better. Uh, Salah missed a penalty. But, of course, Liverpool beat Man United unexpectedly. 7-0 a week ago and then we're beaten by Bournemouth that's why we love sport because you can't write it and England were drubbed blue murder uh, said the Times yesterday in the sports section uh, France 53-8 was it or 53-10 53-10 the heaviest ever defeat at Twickenham for England yeah I mean if you're going to get beaten at Twickenham <laughs> properly beaten you know be, get in the record books yeah. Alex, Alex was there was he <laughs> it's his fault he must it's never go fault. again I think he also broke the record for the amount of Guinnesses you could drink while watching England losing by well the biggest done. amount of points ever I met one of the school mums yesterday because uh, we were climbing this brilliant climbing tree. You know when nature really gets it right? Mm. It's just a, such a friendly climbing tree for the kids. They can get so high. It gets a bit worrying as a parent. But because there are so many branches, you think, well, if they fall, they'll probably hopefully just fall to the next branch and it will catch them, that kind of tree. And she was on the phone to her husband and her twins were up the tree with my twins and uh, Eli as well and Noah. And they were just having the most wonderful time. We, we did an hour on this tree. You know, because I think this is going to be a five-minute thing, and then as a parent, as a dad, you know, or as a mum, you get you get a vibe going. No, this is this is this is not a five-minute thing, and it tends to be a five-minute thing or an hour thing. Do you know what I mean by yes. that? Um, I was thinking, well, we could go, but where are we going? You know, all the fun's here right now, so let's stay with the fun. And the the other mum, or the mum, because um, I'm not a mum, I'm a dad. I could be a mum if you like. But um, the mum was on the phone to her husband, uh, and uh, she got off the phone. She said, "Oh, he's in Singapore." I said, "Oh, that's nice." She said, yeah, he's on a something called a Venga bus, a party bus. I went, all right. And I just changed the subject. I thought it was wise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but talking to the Guinness, yeah. talking to the thing. Yeah. All that going on. Uh, but, of course, Crufts was going on. Crufts was going on as well. Um, it started on Thursday. We had lots of text about it. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and uh, where Crufts leaves off, Cheltenham picks up. So from the K9 to the Equine. Um, so there was talk about us going to Cheltenham on Friday. We're not going. 
we're not going there. That's probably sensible. Yeah, it's probably I mean, sensible. Alan Brazil and Cheltenham. One of us might be going still, but we're not all go we're not all going. One of us might go. I heard you were going. It's funny, um, you know <laughs> <laughs> I can see where this is going. Interesting. Interesting. You know, how quickly do people find things out? I thought it was still under discussion. I come in this one, oh, so you're going to Cheltenham. I don't know. I don't think I am, actually. But anyway. So when did you get, like, emailed and pinged about it? I got it? a phone call at, like, 20 to 6, which always sort of freaks me out if people call me super early. What, this morning? Yes. Yeah. Me too. You got a phone call at 20 to 6 this morning? Yes. Saying what? Saying, just to let you know, these are the plans. Chris is going to go. You guys are going to be holding the fort back in the top of are. the tower. And that warranted a phone a before-the-show phone call. It's extraordinary. Interesting protocol. Um, well, let's get back to the to the doggies. Well, we have Aussie Jane here to talk about Crufts, or we have to, and or we have Tilly to talk about a Taskmaster challenge, which resulted in her basically pulverising Colin the caterpillar <laughs> with Quite a drill. Colin. Exactly. What do you want first, okay? I am fascinated by Crufts because what I can't wrap my head around yes. is that nineteen thousand dogs were there. I read that. I thought this maybe nineteen thousand entered the. You know, maybe there are a few rounds beforehand. Yeah. Maybe there's five hundred over the weekend. No, nineteen thousand dogs. Was uh, it the NEC in Birmingham? Yeah, and the Ridiculous. thing, the thing about the dogs, those nineteen thousand dogs, you can't take a dog unless it's in Crufts. So you can't like be a dog fan and take a dog to go and watch Crufts. That's not allowed. No. So there were nineteen thousand entrants for Crufts, yes. which is amazing. How's he, Jane? Couldn't yeah. take her eyes off it all weekend. It's either that or the sparrows feeding on the little bird feeder in the in the garden. Are they few and far between at the moment? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got plenty of sparrows. I was doing a lot of bird watching as well in between watching Crufts. It wasn't on 24th. Oh, all the small it. animals. I love it. Okay, so give us your Crufts highlights. You're fascinated by Crufts. I had never watched Crufts before. Really? It is, honestly, one of the best things I've ever watched Come on, on telly in my life. It's amazing. <laughs> there were so many happy dogs and happy owners. The dogs had no idea that they were part of a competition. and But they just want to do a good job for their owners and so they're having the best time um, and some of the, the some of the best bits that happened um, there was a choreographed routine between <laughs> a woman and her dog to good morning good morning from um, singing in the rain nice. and it was good morning fantastic. good morning exactly the song alone it just makes you smile um, one of the presenters was seen cuddling the tiniest dog I've ever seen. That so tiny, I had to take a photo of it. There you go. Tiny dog. By the way, tiny cute dog. Yeah. Doesn't look like a dog. It doesn't look like, like a, a little dog. fox. Yeah. Well, a squash fox. <laughs> like a little, little condensed fox. Condensed. <laughs> fox. They had a picture on the front of the Times over the weekend of a of a Great Dane and a Chihuahua. Oh. Looking at each other and the massive head of the Great Dane and they're the cutest things in the world and the Chihuahua just looking a little bit askance like I I think I I think I want to say hello. But was, I might be breakfast. Yes. No, I think the I think the Chihuahua was was weighing the old what was it up the bigger dog? I don't know. It was it was it had a sort of sideways glance at it. It was was it just, a wolfhound or something like that? Was it a hound? Was it a chase a chase dog? It was a tiny little dog and a massive Great Dane. It was oh, the Great best. Dane, sorry, yeah, the That's best, <laughs> the best photo I've ever seen. All right, per perfect. Uh, the, the little fox. You think the uh, condensed the condensed fox? Yeah. It looks like one of those like things. Multi poo. Well, something. it looks like one of those things you buy that you have to add water to for it to yes. become whatever it is. <laughs> like a, like a sponge. Pre water, pre hydration. Yeah. All right. What else, Jane? Oh, one of the cocker spaniels was in <laughs> just, it to just win it. Just add water for this to look like a real dog. <laughs> 
this poor little cocker spaniel was going to win its obstacle course and then at the very last obstacle it just kind of forgot that it had to jump through a little hoop okay, it was done it was done it's like i'm done now i don't need a, i don't need the trophy yeah this is the i've had the fun this is the win the, the best the best thing of all was yes. this amazing uh, rescue staffy who was winning oh. this hero award yeah. uh, for joining the police force. At the end, its owner was being um, interviewed yes. and it decided to run up to the cameraman yeah. and grab the microphone muff and <laughs> use it as a toy. <laughs> wow. So good. <laughs> They're not the most advisable things to, to cover your microphone, in, uh, I would imagine, at Crufts. Things that look like, uh, you know, not predator. What is it? What is it? Um, prey. So all the chase hounds that are there that's what they do they're trained to nature gives them the yeah. radar to oh that's it's just nothing to do with technology that's something i need to eat yeah immediately <laughs> um but i mean obviously leave the rest of the camera on the camera not eat uneaten what else oh well there's also just all of the dogs yes. at the end of their obstacle courses they were so enthusiastic and just happy to be f- to be finishing they were just jumping into their owner's arms oh. And so you just saw these scenes of the dogs jumping oh, into the Get me out of here! Yeah. <laughs> there were a few tumbles Too as well. Too many dogs! <laughs> Too many dogs for my own sake. All right, well, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. It was joyous. Now, here's the thing. Because you've done Crufts so comprehensively... Yes. Are you done with Crufts now? No. Will I'm, you be back next year? I'll be back for even more. Oh, you're going to get tickets and go next yes, year. Yes, that's the plan. <laughs> is it honestly? Yeah. That's what I said to Bobby. Yes, it is. We're going next year. Love it. Okay. Uh, right. Okay. Let's talk to Trivi Tilly about Taskmaster and about poor Colin the Caterpillar. <laughs> uh, so tell us about the Taskmaster weekend. Who, why did it happen? So my cousin's husband is a huge Taskmaster fan. Yeah. Has been since it started. He loves it. And my cousin, his wife, decided it's his 40th at uh-huh. the end of the month and she was going to surprise him. So he knew he had a birthday surprise. He didn't know what he was. Turned up at this village hall and there was four of us to be the other contestants and then we spent the whole day making our own episode of Taskmaster. Does this mean you owe Rachel some money? Um, I'll take a Colin the Caterpillar cake. I don't think you no. want the Colin oh, the Caterpillar that I got my hands on. How much of Colin left anymore? Because <laughs> no, the Bongos Bingo that you went to is a franchised licensed thing. Yes. And Taskmaster is a... Last well, time I looked, is a copyright. Yeah. So you you might be in jail by lunchtime. I'd be about to get into some hot water. Now, you've done this before, haven't you? I have done it, yeah. So a, have you hosted friend. or have you contested? I've contested twice now. Right. And it never fails to blow my mind how terrible I am at it. So sure, bad. Yeah, I'm sure. Frank Skinner's on later. Frank Skinner won, didn't he? Frank Skinner did the first series yes. of Taskmaster. Alex is forever grateful to Frank because he'll always say it was Frank saying yes that 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 got the commission across the line. Quite right too. And, and he said that um, one of his favourite memories is that Frank did a task which they they were each given a massive boulder and they had to get the boulder as far away as possible from the Taskmaster house within an hour. And so Alex and Frank ended up on a train, I think, going north. They weren't allowed to. Film because they couldn't get permission to film on the train, so they just they just he just went on a train with Frank and a massive boulder, and he said it was really pleasant. Was it a real boulder or a showbiz boulder? It was a showbiz boulder, but he said it was so big it was impossible to manoeuvre. Like trying to get it through the train barriers was quite the feat. Yeah, okay, that's oh. good. So, what were your challenges? So we started off with making a marble run. So mm. I walked in and there was all these like pipes and a drill. Which, you know, Marlboro famous drill. feature quite often, don't they? Frequently on Taskmaster. Oh, yes, that sort of a show. <laughs> what's, a, what's a Taskmaster series without a marble run? There isn't one. No. Okay. <laughs> I was just terrible. I just panicked. The second everyone was looking at me, there was a. She hired a cameraman, she did it full out. Right. And I just. 
I ended up rolling a marble along the floor about two metres. But the world is surely the, the world itself, you know, terra firma is the ultimate marble runner. Well, I think you won. Uh, I didn't even roll it that far. I could have rolled it along the hall and it would have Maybe been better. Maybe with your nose. There's that guy, isn't there, that doesn't the, the, doesn't the guy nose something up oh, yeah. Matt Snowden every year? <laughs> what does he nose? It's a marble, isn't it? Well, yeah, I think it might a peanut, be. It's a peanut. It's a peanut. It's a peanut. It's a peanut. He noses a peanut up Snowden once a year just for the heck of it. Tilly, who's your taskmaster? Who's so, going to make these judgments? It's a, a family friend called Amy, and okay. I think she will be quite firm. I don't think she'll be very what you need. It's a Brussels sprout. I'm sure Sorry. someone did a peanut as well. Yeah, thank you very much, yeah. Tilly. Thank you for making me feel better about not no, remembering it as a Brussels sprout. Uh, right, what, what was the challenge you did excel at? Surely you None won. None of them so far. Hang on, right? Hang on, right? Seriously. What was the Colin the Caterpillar Cake challenge? Well, so the, ca- the challenge was yes. do the most upsetting thing to this mm. Colin the Caterpillar. Upsetting thing? And I don't think. Who, who knew cakes were sentient? <laughs> well, yes, were we upsetting him? Were we upsetting the viewer? People in the room, the viewer. Yeah. But I just. <laughs> I panicked. <laughs> and I cut it up and I drilled its face. And I smushed it into the grass. Face. I spelt out "you smell" in cake because I thought that's upsetting if someone tells you you smell. Yeah. But it was just—it was one of those moments where I finished it and I didn't really remember it. It felt like oh, there no, any, it all gone a bit weird. In, that's interesting <laughs> yeah. because that's about pressure, isn't it? Yeah. You get myopic, exactly, and I'm, you get constrained, and you can't remember what you did because you were too—you uh, were too sort of um, uh, bound up by your own cortisol. Yeah. You literally can't remember in, the last five minutes. No. All you know is that you're still alive, but somebody else. Might be dead in this case, part of the caterpillar. <laughs> and there was cake all over my hands. And I... Are there any open ended tasks like You didn't have blood on your hands, you had chocolate <laughs> yeah. on your hands. Are there any tasks you've still got time to complete? So we've got a prize task. So okay. there's birthday parties when we're going to watch it all. That's in June. Yep. Yeah. And it's his name's Ed. It's his birthday. Happy birthday, Ed. And the prize task is find the most Ed thing. I mean, I can try and redeem myself. You sound myself, like you're broken, but... if you don't mind me saying. <laughs> yeah, I've... You sound like you've, you've done with this it one. It was great. But I'm scared about what happened with the colon. Wow, it was, no, don't blame it. Was bizarre. <laughs> were, there, were there any other cakes or was it just the one? So everyone had their own cake oh, to deal with, which was what did, what did the other people do to the cake? I mean, I finished it thinking everyone will have done pretty similar. You know, we all have smashed the cake on the floor, that yeah. sort of thing. Some people had staged a crime scene with the Colin. <laughs> Some people had made it look like the Colin had... Too much time on that. They don't work yeah. on an amazing radio show. They <laughs> just... And some people drilled his face. Yeah, because you're done. You're creatively, you're done when you finish on Friday. You're done. You you're give empty. it all to the show and you go. You just want to kick back. And other people don't have radio shows to work and they go, oh, I've had a radio show. I'd be this, this how creative I would be. Look at, my, look at the content I can come it's up with. It's kind of you to say. I'm not sure. No, well, it's true. It's true. Believe me. Take it from one who knows. Um, talking to winners at the weekend, this is a mascara warning now. So take us through this winner again, please, Rachel. Oh. And how come it's such a fantastic story? So we have the guy who won Best Supporting Actor for mm. Mm-hmm. Everything, everywhere, all at once at the Oscars. Ki Hue Quan. Uh, he was born in Vietnam. He uh, went on a refugee boat to Hong Kong. He was taken into the US with his family as part of a resettlement scheme uh, when he was still a child. When he was 10, a casting director came to his elementary school and he got the role of Short Round in Indiana Jones. He then played Data in The Goonies, but then his acting career sort of fell away. The role stopped coming. So as he got older, he became like a stunt coordinator and did other things in, in Hollywood. 
Hollywood. And then when he turned 50, he said he was inspired by watching um, Crazy Rich Asians and he thought he wanted to get back into acting. So he spoke to a friend who represents actors and he said, yeah, I'll represent you. Two weeks later, he showed him the script for Everything Everywhere All at Once and on stage at the Oscars, his gong was presented to him by Harrison Ford. That is just such a great story. And here's, here's just 12 seconds of his speech and it's enough. It's enough for a Monday morning mascara warning. My mom is 84 years old and she's at home watching. Mom, I just want an Oscar. My Sins of the Weekend was running the MS Half Marathon and seeing my youngest daughter getting a 20 minute PB. Woohoo! Okay, so proud of her hard work. There's Jane and Imba Schnicky. Um, Howard in Southampton, my since of the weekend, was securing a third trustee for the charity I'm currently setting up. Well done, nice to hear that continuing to unfold. Wind direction, Jane and Essex are house backs onto a field and the wind appears to be coming across the field to the set house from a southwesterly direction. This is consistent with the forecast. Very comprehensive. I like it when we, when we get something from experts and then we decide to check it. <laughs> <laughs> We, we all do all the time, yes. don't we? We get something like from from the epicenter of everything to do with whatever it is. Go, oh, just let, well, let me check. Hang on a minute. Speaking of, yes, turns out you were right about the bike wheel direction. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Jackie in Hampshire. I believe the wind is southwesterly today, veering northwesterly tomorrow. Veering. I like a I like a mm. veering. Karen in Worthing this evening I'm going back to yoga for the first time in far too long and I'm so excited just a day in the office to get through before that excellent love it you don't do yoga do you yoga does you is that right yes okay Alison Poole I'm sure you could adapt a canoe sail for the bike oh yes we talked about you know on a day like today wouldn't it be great if you could deploy a sail on your bike and we thought they must sell sails for bikes well we can't find any but we can find a bike umbrella which is more it's a it's a little disappointing and not disappointing it's disappointing in as much as it's not an umbrella, but it's quite cool because it's like a canvas canopy. Look at yeah. that. Be cool, it? Have you seen those? No, I haven't. So you said, you said yeah, like, you know, everybody no, no, in Barnes I, has I one. I agree with the, with the canvas canopy. Right. Um, it would be, it'd be quite amusing to see someone under that, wouldn't it? Yeah, but you wouldn't want that today, would you, um, at £99.90? Because there's more resistance there, yeah. isn't there? It was really hard. Parts of the cycle today is like, what is going on here? You know, and it was much warmer and I was overlayered. So there's more effort. Yeah, needless layers, more temperate temperatures. It was an interesting um, commute. The wind was ridiculous this morning. It I got was. to my serpentine it's so swim. Wind. It's a little, it's a pond basically yeah. in the middle of with Hyde the waves, Park with in the London. Waves. Yes, and it had waves. I bet there were. I thought of you today. I thought you'd be surfing, not swimming this morning. Vassos, who's our next guest, please? You've got our next guest to thank for your favourite comedy, your favourite song and consigning your least favourite stuff to Room 101. Now you can thank him for a pair of poets from the 17th century as Skinner and Miner's literary road trip hits Sky Arts at 8pm tomorrow. So turn up your radio to a simmer for winner, winner, Frank Skinner. Yeah. Good morning, Frank. That's hot. I could no, I could see the cogs whirring there. Do you think she worked as a waitress? I don't know. Maybe. One of my least favourite things is when they a, a waiter or waitress gives you a plate yep. and then says, "That's that's really hot." Be careful, by the that's way. hot. Why are you giving it me then? Yeah, well, you seem to be coping quite well with it. I'd like to take a small Bonson burner and <laughs> heat the plates at the end of the meal, and when they come to collect them, so that's really hot. Actually. Yeah, or just give them the Bonson burner. And say, by the way, that's hot. <laughs> yeah. How are you, Frank? I'm really good, thank Congratulations you. Congratulations on your 14th anniversary. 
anniversary in radio. It's a great life, isn't it? It's not terrible. No, it's the best. It's all life. the fun without the meetings, without yeah, the makeup, without the shaving, without the chain of command where so many things can go wrong. Man, it's and also people forget you're doing it who employ you, yeah. so they just leave you and let you talk about all sorts. And of And it's stuff. the most Homer Simpson esque you can get, i.e., you don't really age because your voice is whatever you you can yeah. sound the same for most of your life, can't you? Yeah, yeah. I think Craven, uh, John Craven, yeah. is one of the people whose voice aged before his face. Very, very rare that the race ends like that. Well, let's cross live now to Rachel Horn for two reasons. A, you've got some inside skinny on her husband and the fact that he's hurt, he's actually grievous bodily harmed someone. But also, um, Rachel used to host Newsround. I did. I don't think my voice has aged more no, than my you, face. Did you witness what Frank's talking about with yes, John? Yes, yeah, well, as a child watching it, I would have thought that with John. He he sounded like my granddad, but he looked a lot younger. No, but his, um, his, his voice raced ahead of him. Yeah. Um, chronologically. I think it was the jumpers. <laughs> Do you think he, yeah. he inhaled um, some fibres? So many fibres from the polyester <laughs> yeah. jumpers. Right, so what's been going on with... Because we've been lauding your hubby up for the fact that he lasted two minutes in an actual wrestling ring in front of thousands of people. One minute, 49 seconds. Two Sundays ago, now two Sundays ago, at the O2. However, Frank comes and says, um, he beat this geezer up. Well, the the way I heard it was that they had... uh, I don't want to suggest there's any uh, pre-fight rehearsals in in wrestling. Don't want to suggest that. Um, You know, when I used to watch wrestling, and I was obsessed with wrestling as a kid, it used to be the blokes used to look like the blokes you saw fighting on car parks on Friday nights. They were like fat bellies and everything. But now they look great. But Alex, I heard um, either accidentally or deliberately mistimed a drop kick... (laughs) And yeah. kick, a drop kick? Yeah. And Go on kick, ahead. Kick someone in the mouth and split all his lips. <laughs> well, the fact you can get, you get his... Is you yeah. sure that is? Well, there, Rachel, is element, there is an element of truth. Sorry. These are the Chinese whispers. Well, this is how comedy works. Yeah. So, uh, Glenn, Glenn Moore, Glenn Moore. Yeah was dressed in a lovely cricket whites and Alex clothed lined him. Glenn Moore of Absolute Radio. Yeah. Yeah, so Alex is doing a service to us. Uh, clotheslined him. What, by and, dispensing with the opposition? Yeah, uh, clotheslined him uh, and accidentally uh, his arm was higher or perhaps Glenn's face was lower than it should have been and uh, contact was made between Glenn's teeth and Alex's hand. Oh, and I would say it was oh. Alex who was injured. He had a really swollen hand and what, he drew blood. I told you about this. This is what we talked about the yes. other day. And in fact, I have just found a, an image online which shows what happened literally seconds later. <laughs> Sorry, Frank, go on. But in a world of sympathy distribution, you don't world. really give it to the person who's hurt their hand smacking the other guy in the mouth, do you? Interesting. Alex said there was a moment of panic when a rumour went round that he'd lost two teeth, but he hadn't. We just, okay. Well, we understand, because obviously we were concerned about Alex's well-being before, during and after, and so we, we inquired as to what um, whether, were there any injuries, and... Rachel said he seems to, he appeared to have teeth marks in his hand, and we said, "Oh, that will mean somebody bit him." Then she went, "No, no, I don't think it was quite like that." She said, "No, no, that would be biting, wouldn't it?" She said, "No, I, I," and you said, "I think he, his, his hand ended up in somebody's mouth." <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> They're all okay now. No, that's good. Oh, good. Oh, man. Frank uh, <laughs> is here to talk about anything we darn like, because that's what has how he rolls. But in particular, Skinner and Mina's literary road trip, Pope and Swift. Part one of three begins tomorrow night, 8pm Skies. We were lucky enough to be sent a preview of all three. I watched the first one. Anybody watch more than the first one? 
You still with I us? You're right, still here? Yeah, I was just checking. I just checking. Check your Ricardo delivery sorted no. out. Yes, you are. No, I got a message Sorry, pass us over Also you. watched the first one and okay. really enjoyed it, Frank. Right. Oh, brilliant. Let's get into poetry first. I didn't realise you were so into poetry. Yeah, well, I, um, I got into poetry a bit like when I was a kid. Um, just, I don't know if you remember, um, there was a book that came out called The Mersey Sound. And it's one of the biggest selling poetry books in British publishing history. And it came out in the, I think, the late 60s. And it was three Liverpool poets. And it was, it was, it was poems where they were on the night bus or they were having a beer or at the fish and chip shop. But also they talked about art and other poets and stuff like that. And for me, it was like, as a working class kid who had yearnings for stuff like art and poetry and and suppress them um it was very liberating thing who would who would who's a really famous brilliant liverpool poet would he have been one of the three it was it was uh, roger mcgoff, roger McGough, um, adrian henry and brian Patton were the right, three right. yeah but it was it's still talked about as a because you know poetry books do not sell um lots and lots but yeah. that one i think it was called the mersey sound it was packaged you know with a guitar on the cover and stuff like so that it's a bit rock and roll it's yeah. a bit rebellious it was late night yeah, it was funny, I'd imagine. And it was taken something which is seen as, uh, at the time, was, you know, very, like, a highly respected art form, and it, and it made it of the people, yeah. So where'd you go from that? What's the next step on that staircase? Well, I had to, um, about the same time, that I was asked to read a, poet, a poem in an assembly, which was by a bloke called uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who was one of these American hip beat poets right and i'd never even seen a poem. i mean on the page it just looked strange the words were all over the place and it's kind of it's about jesus but jesus is like a jazz musician in right. it so it begins sometime during eternity some guy showed up and one of them who showed up real late and it went about him being a hip cat and he really knew how to wail. So it was completely alien to me, but I felt I just liked the feel of it on my lips when I read it out. And do you remember poems? Is that a sign of liking something? Because I remember lots of specific details about things that I like and you don't even have to try and remember them. And I heard you, saw you reciting various poems in your programme and I think, oh no, he knows that he really does know this stuff. I don't know loads off by heart. I wish I knew more, but lines... Um, so I honestly can sit at home, read a poem, and there'll be a line that literally makes me punch the air on my own in my room. I believe you. So it's, give us an example of that, then. Well, um, there's a, I, I did one of the poems I did. I do a poetry podcast as well, which is also available, as they say. And I did a poem, which I think a lot of people wouldn't take that seriously, called The Subaltern's Love Song. And it's by uh, John Betjeman, who I think now is not seen as, as cool enough because he writes about the upper middle classes. But he plays tennis with this woman in the song. And you know those... Do you remember... Uh, uh, a thing called a press, which was like a wooden frame that you would put on the head of a tennis racket oh, to yes. stop it getting damaged. Yeah. It also stopped the wood from twisting. Wasn't yeah. It? yeah. So he plays tennis and it begins Miss J Hunter Don, Miss J Hunter Don, furnished and burnished by Aldershot's son. 
and you can hear the sound in there. And what strenuous singles we played after tea, two in the tournament, just you and me. So they've had, he's in love with this woman, he's playing tennis, and he talks about the, the speed of a swallow, the grace of a boy. And he says, it says, the warm-handled racket is back in its press. And that, to me, sounds like the most sensual. Yeah. The warm-handled racket is back in its press. It's all about restraint and a feeling, this yearning and having to you sort are of... You're contorting yeah. as you're saying these words, which is fantastic, isn't it? Well, you know, words are... Uh, yeah. I love... Because we were talking about yesterday, about Eli, Eli and I were talking about um, pig and cow and dog and the fact they're such short words. Like, you know, that was a particular day where people were too busy for a decent name. But then you get a giraffe. <laughs> like you know. Mexico City. Yeah, exactly. Thought, come on, how long was that, mate? I know, come on. But again, it's... Fast, you know, because cow can't mean anything. Where's the etymology of cow? It's this, it's so little to it. But of course, it will mean something. You mm. know, and then you get giraffe and you get okapi and you get zebra and... You know, there's poetry within a single syllable, let yes. alone a word. Yes. And once you get excited about that, they start to fire off different synapses in your brain, and then you don't have to remember them because it's they're, they're too wonderful to not be able to remember them. And even like in in popular music, where I, I think, you know, there are people who are thought of as poets like Dylan and Leonard Cohen and Joni Mitchell and stuff. But if I was yesterday, or was it even this morning, I listened to No Particular Place to Go by Chuck Berry. Yeah. And just that, riding along in my automobile, my baby beside me at the wheel, as an expression of youth and freedom and that excitement of being alive, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic. It really it made me... I can feel myself tingling. You're to making it. me tingle just talking. <laughs> yeah. And that's what your show does. You know, I've got the great respect for you. You know, you're one of the cleverest people I've ever had the good fortune to interview. You know, you're massively successful. You're really happy in your own skin, you know. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with this. But it was re it's a really, really good programme. So t tell us about Pope. Give us a bluffer's guide to Pope and Swift. OK, well, Alexander Pope was, um, when he was... He was born a Roman Catholic, and at the time, if you're a Roman Catholic, you couldn't go to most schools, you couldn't have a lot of jobs, you couldn't be in Parliament, uh, you couldn't leave your money to your child, you couldn't own a horse um, over a certain value. Uh, there was a feeling that you might make a quick getaway if you did anything <laughs> bad. So it was a, an oppressed group. He was also... He, um, he, he he developed in his when he went into puberty he, he dis, a disability. He um, he had um, what they used to call a hump back. There's probably a better term for it now. He never grew above four foot six. He was in constant pain. He talked about this long disease, my life. Um, but he was a brilliant poet. And what's great about it is that idea that someone can have all this stuff against them, but talent. Is like this torch that takes him through all that fog and gloom. And he was brilliant. From when he was a kid, he just couldn't stop writing poetry. But he was um he had a he, he could be a nasty piece of work as well. He he kept in the British Library, um, who kindly wouldn't let us film them. There are six leather-bound books. By the way, why not? I know. I was trying to encourage interest in a, a disabled poet who was regarded as the greatest poet in England. It's slightly forgotten. Yeah. Though I should say of Pope, he's the second most quoted person in the Oxford um, Dictionary of Quotations after Shakespeare. Wow. So, you know, it's, more people should know him. 
Um, but anyway, he used to keep this book, and if anyone said anything bad or wrote anything bad, he would keep them in this book. It's great that he asked his own publisher if he could get them leather bound. He didn't just want them lying around. And then he would write uh, poems which ripped these people to pieces. So he would go into town, he'd have his um, Great Dane and two flintlock pistols ready for people if he saw any poets he'd upset. And uh, there was a publisher who upset him by... Uh, he printed um, some poems, and it's not clear if they were by Pope or his friend, but he did them without getting permission. And Pope was furious, and Pope said, let's meet and sort this out as gentlemen. So they met... And Pope was saying, let's be friends, and shook his hand. But meanwhile, he um, he put um, an emetic in the publisher's drink, which made him vomit for about two hours. He did that deliberately as a punishment. And then, rather than deny it, he wrote a pamphlet about what he'd done and what fabulous justice it was, and it was quite a, quite a good seller. Um, do you think he was fearless because he was in such pain, you know, this disease called life, my life, that... It, that was so hard to wake up with every day. Everything else seemed so much easier and and um, more navigable. Well, I talked to a, a disabled person on the show about how, and he said disability is a tremendous motivator. He says the I'll show them really does rise up to the surface because you've been, you know, you've had that your whole life. And then, I mean, people wrote stuff about Pope, calling him a hot humpback monkey and stuff. It's not like there was no restraint. They absolutely went in on, on the disability. Well, they were messing with the best. That that was the problem. Yeah, yeah. And he was the classic case of, you know, that he said that these guys who I'm criticising now, he said that the poem wasn't made for them, they were made for the poem. And the only reason anyone will remember these guys oh, is because of my poem. <laughs> and it's right. The only reason we know these writers oh. is because he's torn them apart. Oh, my goodness me. I love the um, when you go to the private eyes um, offices and you talk to... Uh, sorry, I've forgotten his name. Ian Hislop. Ian Hislop, of course. And you talk to him about satire. Uh, he's, do you remember his definition of satire? Do you remember what he no, said? No, what was it? He said, um, it's, it's it's something like, it's not as good as this, uh, sticking the boot in with a joke, he said. That's that's his definition yeah. of satire. Getting, you know, giving people a good kick in with a joke, you know. As it well, was. he said that he'd done a thing in the early days of, uh, I, I don't know, some satirical thing he'd worked on when he suggested the poor could eat their children as yeah. a way of solving all sorts of economic issues. And Swift, who's the other poet, the one who Denise Minor focuses on in this, um, in this documentary, he wrote a modest proposal which was suggesting that the Irish people did exactly that. And it was taken as literally true and he would talk about how to how to dress you know the dress a baby like you dress a suckling pig or something like that and then he was castigated in the press wasn't he in his lop and then he wrote to the paper concerned saying you do know this is a classic work of yeah of literature but it's great the way but I'm, but I'm sure you know that <laughs> yes exactly but the way pope turns up I don't know if you remember, but the Rolling Stones um, urinated on a garage forecourt and got arrested. <laughs> right. And they made a real big, you know, this is a moral outrage. And uh, someone in the Times wrote a defence of the Stones saying this is just too much now. And the headline they use is, we should not break a butterfly on a wheel, which is a Pope quote. Right. Jim Carey did that. Um, what is it? The... the, the 
the beauty of the spotless mind. Eternal yeah. beauty of the spotless yeah. mind. That's a Pope quote. Right. Falls rushing where angels fear to tread, to air is human, to forgive divine. He wrote in those ten-syllable lines, and they, they are finely crafted. Even though they were often abuse, it was beautifully polished yeah, yeah. abuse. Do you think, how, how easily and quickly do you think this came to him? You know, or, you know, a lot of authors, everybody does things differently, of course they do, but a lot of authors will say, you know, you get something down in 20 minutes, you just write, 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 and then you spend eight hours editing it, polishing it, and making yourself sound cleverer than you are. How do you think it was with poetry? Well, I think with Pope, he... He said as a child, I lisped in numbers and the numbers came. So he suggested that it dropped off him like windfall fruit. But that, that it is too crafted and too polished for that. You also compare him with Cinderella. Uh, well, his words with Cinderella and pantomime, because you call, what's it called? His... No, well, he writes in heroic couplets. This is it, heroic which couplets. Which are ten-syllable lines, and every other syllable is stressed. da 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 and it was like, I, I mean, I made that up on the spot, it was very but it, good. It, I can't remember what it was. It you were was, in full flow. So, Cinderella, you must find the prince and make sure that he's wearing leopard prints. It's some, something like that. It was better. But we used to them in panto, but when Pope did it, they became very beautiful. And relentless, and that was his style, wasn't it? That was his style. I think he probably dreamt in heroic couplets, yeah. And then there was this his translation of the Iliad, sixteen thousand lines of poetry. It took him ten years. Yeah, seven years. Seven and years. He also did. He did an edition of Shakespeare, in which he put fifteen hundred of Shakespeare's lines on the bottom of, moved them to the bottom of the page. He didn't think they were good enough. <laughs> and then he built an amazing house in Richmond as well, with his in, grotto in, in, in Twickenham. Sorry, yeah. Twickenham on yeah, the river. So we went. All that exists of that is the grotto. You know why that is? Because the person who bought the house had so many people knock on the door and saying, can we have a look round at Pope's house, that he had it knocked down. Simple as that. Yeah. It's like the, um, the people who bought the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang windmill, and they wonder why people keep knocking on the door. <laughs> it's like living next to a pub going, oh, keep the noise down. It's a pub. You bought. It's always been a pub. The house always been a pub. You bought it. Your issue, um, Frank. For those, I still, you know, I mean, John Cooper Clark stuff like that, pub mm. poetry, all awesome, isn't it? It's all poetry, though. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, so the the podcast I do, I will do, you know, something. I'll I'll do Sir Thomas Wyatt, who was a poet who actually jousted in the same tournament as Henry the Eighth. And then the next week, I'll do someone like Liz Berry, who's from the Black Country, writing now, brilliant poet. So it, it's a, it, it continues. It, it's not a thing from the past. Who's your favourite poet? Oh, that's a tough one, because it changes every day. It's like, you know, it's like what's your favourite? Okay, Elvis? not your favourite, but OK. No, it is your favourite, but it doesn't matter. I mean, just... OK, a poem that I recommend to people is uh, Robert Frost wrote a poem called The Star Splitter. And I just like to give them, I think, the, the praise of it, because it's about a man who burnt his farmhouse down so that he could use the money to buy a telescope because he wished to establish our place amongst the infinities. <laughs> Love it. Is it long poem? It's, it's long, but it's very... Robert Frost is one of those. He's very understandable... And then the more you read it, you find there's another depth and another depth. So it seems quite straightforward and it casts a very long shadow that you can keep following. It's great that you love it. I mean, out of all your interests and your passions, where does poetry sit? I'll write 
right up Number there. one? Um, basically, every day I either read or listen to poetry. Wow. Great. Schooner and Minas, uh, Minas rather, literary road trip, Pope and Swift, part one of three begins tomorrow night, 8pm starts. I saw episode one and thought, okay, who are they doing next week? But you're cracking on with these two, aren't you? Yeah, so, yeah, so this, this is three episodes. Because yeah, cool. we did Wordsworth and Coleridge last time and Johnson and Boswell the time before. Good for you, Frank. Anything else you'd like to say before you go? Um, so listen to the podcast. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's for people really mainly who, who fancy poetry but haven't found a way in. I'm, I'm and person. I'm kind of the guy saying, come with me, I've got a torch, I'll show you. OK, you're our tour bits. guide. And incredibly, the paperback version of um, The Comedian's Prayer Book by me is also out now. What's the name of the po- podcast? The podcast is called Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. Great. All right. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Chris. It's Thank great you, Rachel. to see you. Thank you, Rachel. Great to see you. Thank you, Vassos. Uh, we'll do Roadkill tomorrow, <laughs> shall we? Yeah. What uh, we've got the pyramids. We've got the pyramids tomorrow. Mm. And anything else on the agenda? I tomorrow? think that will fill the show. All right. Can see I ya. say there's actually um, an ethnically acceptable form of taxidermy, apparently, I was reading, where you only use roadkill, but sometimes you have to mix, you have to mix the species a bit to make it work. All right, well, we'll have that too. <laughs> we'll pre-record that with Frank now and that'll be on the show tomorrow. OK, happy Tuesday, everyone. Goodbye. One show tonight with the Queen's Car.